Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today uh, we'll be talking about Squash Mad and World Squash Day with founder of Squash Mad and World Squash Day, Alan Thatcher. Alan, uh, Alan as many of you know, stepped down as editor-in-chief of Squash Mad a few months ago, maybe a little over a month ago, uh, but the publication will continue to soldier on in his absence, and he's assembled a stellar team of writers from the beginning, including uh, the likes of Rod Gilmore, R.J. Mitchell, and Mike Dale, who've put out some tremendous stories over the past few years, especially recently. Uh, uh, there's, there have been some really, really uh, intriguing, interesting stories uh, that have filled the void uh, that I feel Squash uh, has needed to fill. I've always said uh, several times on the podcast uh, that what Squash lacks in terms of uh, media coverage, which is a uh, very little as it stands anyways, is um, uh, interesting sub, uh, subjective voice uh, on the world of squash. And this is exactly uh, what Alan uh, puts together with Squash Mad, and he's been doing that for nearly, uh, for nearly 10 years now uh, with Squash Mad. Uh, we talk about Squash Mad, the beginnings, and how it has evolved over the years, the current team that he's assembled, and uh, how confident he is uh, that they'll continue to grow uh, the publication uh, in his absence. Uh, Alan also mentions, uh, you'll see, uh, you'll hear on the pod that uh, he's not going to step away completely, but he'll be stepping away from uh, running uh, Squash Mad, which is what he was doing, has been doing for the last several uh, years in order to, uh, to get back to rest up to to deal with the health issues that he's been struggling with. Uh, We also uh, talk about World Squash Day and uh, its beginnings, what it means, uh, uh, World Squash Day, and the lack of support that he feels um, uh, World Squash Day Day has has received international federations and also national federations. And we touch on other subjects related to uh, growing the game as well, which uh, we're hopefully going to really dive deep into uh, in the beginning of the year if we uh, if the panel that we're putting together comes to fruition. But uh, that's what this podcast is all about. Episode 247 with Alan Thatcher. It's about World Squash Day. It's about Squash Mad. Uh, Alan's uh, leaving the publication, uh, which he started. Uh, around 10 years ago in order to deal with some health issues but he's not going to step away entirely but we talk about how that all came about and uh, it's a really interesting chat i know you're going to enjoy it but before we get into that uh, just a few words about our tremendous sponsor open squash the new york-based non-profit which is dedicated to bringing thousands of new people into the sport by making it more accessible and more affordable for everyone one of the ways Open Squash fulfills this mission is through its junior scholarship fund, and it's all about juniors getting the, the youngsters back uh, uh, playing this game again. And uh, their junior scholarship fund supports uh, 25% of juniors with financial aid. So uh, Open Squash's primary vision, of course, is growing the game, and Cleve Miller has been on uh, the pod uh, just about a month or so ago to flesh all of the open squash vision there out. Go back and listen to that if you're interested. And they've brought on board several like-minded PSA pros, including world number one, Ali Frag, who'll be back at the the Tournament of Champions uh, in mid-January. Victor Quinn, who is now in the top 10. Gina Kennedy, who will be making her return. Nathan Lake, uh, one of the the great talents on tour, and he'll be uh, playing in Houston coming up very soon, as well as the uh, Tournament of Champions. For anyone in and around New York City interested in looking at their membership plans, uh, or if you'd like to check out their pre-sale plans for their uh, pre-sale membership plans for their Pearl Street and Brooklyn Center, Check out the details on their website at opensquash.org. Now, uh, his second appearance on the pod, and again, uh, it's a really good one, Alan Thatcher. Looking good, sir. Thank you. And you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm slightly underdressed. That's okay. <laughs> I uh, the last couple of podcasts I've had to do at my office, so I've had my suit, my my tie on, and my shirt on. So I've nice. had, had to explain myself that uh, <laughs> normally don't overdress for these things, but for you, I should have. Well, that's kind. Is that light <laughs> a distraction behind me? Let me turn no, it up. 
No, it's fine. That's fine. That okay. That was fine. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Alan, for doing this. And uh, we I think our first apologies for yesterday. Oh, yeah. It's Christmas season, as you said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's lots going on. And um, if I were in Canada, uh, I'd probably have the same excuse as well with all the wow. snow we're getting. I was, I was first thing I was going to ask you was just hoping your family and friends are all safe as that weather bomb. Yeah. The entire continent. Yeah, uh, my daughter's tra- supposed to be traveling today back to my hometown, and there's a, st- a snowstorm in near mm-hmm. Toronto. She's in Ottawa, and her flight's still okay. So uh, fingers crossed, she gets on board, and the and the, the weather in Halifax, where I'm from, seems to be okay. So I think oh, good. that's uh, just a matter of getting off the ground. Uh, yes. But uh, I think yeah. I, the first podcast we did was a while ago, wasn't it? Like it was in my in the early days of uh, of me. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, things it, it's um, pretty much turned full circle for me. I'm happy to announce that I'm. You know, you know that I've walked away from squash mad. I've got to put my health first. Yeah. And for the same reasons, I'm looking for a new owner, a new home for World Squash Day. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's get into that. But uh, we'll yeah. that now. I mean, obviously, uh, the squash world. Uh, you know, everyone knows that uh, about a month ago you relinquished uh, the reins at Squash Mad. Uh, I think it came as a bit of a surprise to many, including myself. You know, I didn't have my ear to the ground. I just figured everything uh, was going as usual, and really enjoying the stuff you guys are putting putting out there, uh, especially yeah. lately. Uh, mm-hmm. But obviously, before that. Um, but before we talk about that, though, uh, I'd like, you know, to give you some room to talk about the beginning of Squash Mad because uh, what it is now, uh, it, it's really the go-to uh, publication in terms of, you know, you want to get a good story on squash, you want it to be relevant. Uh, it, it it has all of that. So, uh, just in terms of looking back, when did the idea for the online uh, publication come about for you, and uh, basically, maybe what was it born from? Well, I'm a lifelong journalist, as you know, Mm. and what I could see in my involvement in squash, the more I got involved working with clubs, building up new tournaments, bringing in sponsors, um, was the lack of real journalists writing about the game. Mm. Because 35 years ago when squash was at its peak, when American Express came into squash, they actually did a cardholder survey here in the UK and found out that 60% of their cardholders played squash. And so they approached England squash and said, what can we sponsor? And that's how the National League first started. And as part of that, I set up a Fleet Street League, Fleet Street being the... uh, the old center of the British newspaper industry. Mm. Um, I got 16 teams of three from TV, newspapers, radio, agencies, freelancers, photographers, playing every three or four weeks at the luxurious surroundings of the famous Cannons Club in London that was built underneath the arches of Cannon Street Station in the city of London. Some of the guys were very good players and girls. And thanks to the generous sponsorship of American Express, we were the best sponsored bad bad squash players on the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were given a, a almost free membership of Cannon's Club, All the courts were free. There was a lovely buffet laid on for us every time we played all these league matches. And among the players, we had the editor of The Sun, Kelvin McKenzie, a very famous gossip columnist, diary editor called Nigel Dempster from the Daily Mail. Uh, ITV had a very good all-female trio. Okay. Who were some fantastic girls playing in that team. We had a lot of executives from various newspapers and, of course, some hugely talented photographers, PR people uh, from the radio world. There was a guy called Jeff Stelling, who in recent years has fronted the Sky TV soccer coverage. Mm. 
-hmm. every weekend. And so having launched that and seen the interest in squash from so many media people, that kind of fell away as the game crumbled here in the UK. Soccer took over. We call it football, but the rest of the world calls it soccer. Um, once every single national newspaper launched their own football supplement on a Saturday and a Monday, other stuff got left behind. And Squash was one of the casualties because the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, uh, one or two other papers had specialist squash correspondents. Those days ended 20 years ago. And so as the years went by, fewer and fewer journalists, real journalists, were writing about the game. Um, I helped Ian McKenzie with Squash Player, and I tried manfully to try and persuade Ian to look at switching Squash Player from a print publication to an online Sorry, Just to interrupt you there, I, I should have mentioned uh, uh, Squash Player as another one of those publications that, that does a great job. Obviously, it's hard copy. Yeah. Uh, they do have a website, but it's not a vibrant one. Yeah, Apologies. absolutely. <laughs> and so I was doing a lot of work for, for Squash Player for nothing. And that didn't kind of make much sense. Um and then it migrated and became Squash Site. And I had discussions with Squash Site about teaming up together. Um, but they didn't want to share their ball, basically. And so I set up Squash Mad. I'd already had Squash 247, Squash UK. I was, I'd set up various earlier versions with various partners. But nobody seemed to want to stick at it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be serious about this, I've got to commit to this myself. And so it became a kind of ongoing seven-day responsibility. Um, brought in a lot of good writers on an occasional basis. A lot of people stayed for a long time. A lot of people did. It gave me a huge amount of support. And my feeling has always been that Squash needs real journalists writing real articles about this sport because there's so much stuff that goes unreported and there are questions that need to be asked of our federations mm. and nobody else is asking those questions only real journalists know how to ask those questions oh. and after launching world squash day and teaming up with the world squash federation and hoping to enlist the support of every national federation on the planet, what was obvious is that a lot of these federations were really letting the game down. And on a personal level, they were letting me down. Hmm. And this year, I, I, after two bouts of COVID, draining my energy, I decided I've got to put my health first. And I found a, a new home for Squash Mad, and I'm now looking for a new home for World Squash Day, because running those two mm. operations seven days a week and putting in the energy that I have round the clock for World Squash Day is pretty exhausting. Well, I want to give you. Uh, I want to give you some space to to lay out World Squash Day in in a little bit. But uh, uh, sure. if you don't mind, I would. Uh, I'd mm. like to just continue uh, on. Just talk a little bit more about Squash Mad, and then obviously World Squash Day is a huge, huge thing, and uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But just want one of the things that I really. I mean, just of late. I mean, you, you've had the, you've had the the Ali Frag, the breaking news on, mm. on him. What? What? Uh, just recently, I think just the other day something uh what what was the big uh story that came out uh, kind of a two days ago um was well, it uh, we've got bert mitchell and yeah mike dale and occasionally rod gilmore chipping in with some great pieces yeah some really good pieces lately i mean so finally we had a team of four journalists you did uh, you've had some good ones the assault store uh the yeah. uh the assault okay. story the rod owen uh uh, Joel Macon. Uh, and obviously, we're very grateful for the stuff you're asking, Jerry, because that's mm -hmm. a great partnership between Squash Mad and the In Squash podcast, 
Yeah, is absolutely. I mean, I other. appreciate you. Uh, you're, you're asking the same <laughs> hard-hitting questions that need to be asked. So yeah, it's great. So that we I, have had a, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Gina Kennedy on the podcast, and this this was yeah. on the heels of, um, I think it was on the heels of the Rob Owen podcast. Mm. And she mm. was saying, and and, there, and it had kind of blown up a little bit. And she she was saying, well, "This is great. I mean, we never see <laughs> we never see anything like this in squash." Uh, she she thought it was fantastic, and I think uh, it really uh, what what you bring to the table at Squash Mad is stuff that uh, that had been missing for a long time, and that really uh, squash enthusiasts, not only squash enthusiasts, but anyone interested in sport. Uh, if they were to to read any of these stories, they would find it intriguing. Well, the good thing is having that team, bringing that team together under the new management structure has been the best thing ever. Mm. And having guys who can write well, interview well, and stay on top of current news, live, hot, current news, is what we're all about. And I was just so pleased that with Ollie Morgan coming on board, finding the funding to bring in other journalists, we've suddenly created a real quality vehicle. Mm. Yeah, the, and, main, uh, uh, the main team that you have together there uh, right now, you have um, Mitchell, is it our, um, yeah, RJ Mitchell? RJ Mitchell. You've got Mike Dale, uh, obviously yourself, until you, you decided to leave. Um, and, and others. So if you don't mind, maybe just speak to the, the team that you have uh, together and what each of them do well. Well, I'll say, first of all, that everybody has a passion for the game, a respect for the game. And that underpins everything they're doing because they're not looking to carve people up or stab people in the back. Hmm. They want the best for squash. And there are questions that need to be asked. And readers, followers of Squash want to know the real stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And we're the only ones that appear to be providing that service. And that makes me proud. Absolutely. Because our top players need to be marketed as great personalities. You look at the top 10 men and women, they're all different individuals. They all have a different style of play. Frequently, they have very different things to say. And that makes it fascinating for me interviewing these players on court after matches, because I don't just want to talk about what we've seen on court. I like to dig deeper and ask some personal stuff. And I know they're generally happy to to go along with that. And it's all about entertaining the audience, whether it's through the spoken word or the written word. And so digging deeper rather than just the bland post-match interviews that you see at most tournaments, it pays off to dig deeper. If I'm going to interview Ali Farag four days in a row, I want to have four separate different conversations with Ali. Mm. I don't want to ask him the same stuff every day and get the same answers every day. And I structure that for every single player in every tournament I'm involved in. Because we're providing a service to a live audience, the Squash TV audience, and then in a written form to the Squash Mad audience. Yeah, that was something, uh, you know, I'm new to this and still uh, I'm not a journalist, but uh, uh, I, I've started grow, uh, learning a few of the, the skills of the trade, the tools of the trade. And one of the things um, one of the things that I've found to be that I've that I've learned is that you shouldn't be afraid to ask uh, difficult what you might deem as difficult questions, because yes. those seem to be every time I've asked them the questions that nine times out of 10 anyways, they these people want to talk about. Yeah. Well, one of the great things about squash is that nearly all of our players at the top of the PSA rankings are very intelligent mm -hmm. and articulate, speak well in multiple languages, and are great at conversation. And they always have something interesting to say about the tournaments they're playing in, the training routines they go through and the fun stuff that lightens up their days. Mm. 
because it's not all about it can't all be about hard work there's there's the light and the shade with every conversation yeah and there, there are things i think that player you know obviously the psa do a do a pretty good job a very good job i think actually in marketing the players and interviewing them after matches yes. and doing the behind the scenes yeah. stuff but it's that that stuff uh, i think we've spoken about about this before it tends to be a bit sanitized you know it's all all the the things that we want to hear and should hear to grow the game uh, obviously they we we want them to be portrayed as role models uh, sometimes um a role model uh, that uh we don't expect a role model to say something that that might be controversial so we won't ask those questions but i think uh, the stuff that you, that you're doing there on, on at squash mad this is the the kind of stuff that you know people wonder about and, and want to know more about and the players i think are more than forthcoming when it comes to you know that 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 side of things jerry the backbone of any successful democracy is freedom of speech mm. <laughs> and a strong media that is unrestrained yes and i think squash is squash really needs an independent voice and i think that's what squash mad is providing and i'm proud to have played a part in building that and i'm very proud to have handed over to a very strong team who can carry that work going forward so who is the team uh, actually that that you have put together now uh, that that will be carrying the uh, doing the heavy lifting i guess now that you'll be uh, your with your departure Ollie Morgan is the publisher. Okay. Um, editing duties will be shared between Mike Dale and Rod Gilmore with RJ Mitchell producing some brilliant interviews on a regular basis. Yeah, he just had, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure if it was the Ali Farag one, but it was just released mm, yes. yesterday or the day before. Must It must have been yes. uh, the Ali. Ali. Yeah, Ali. No, no, spoke no, sorry, it was Hanya. His... Hanya El Hamami. That, that, yes. Ania El Hamami, looking yeah, forward yeah. to next year, becoming world number one. Yes, yes. Ali, looking forward to get back, in on, back on court. And Mike Dale did some brilliant pieces with Gina Kennedy mm -hmm. about the health and fitness injuries she's been, uh, issues she's been dealing with. Yeah, all of those stories are, are exactly, I think, what people mm -hmm. think is going on, but they don't know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. like, for example, Hanya, right? She She's just yeah. such a ferocious competitor and a tremendous player and extremely competitive on court always there to win and you don't yes. really i uh, haven't heard from her you know you don't really hear much from her and then this yes. uh this interview really captures mm -hmm. i think what we all thought or think uh she's she's all about yes yeah that was a great read mm. and I, i'm really excited by the women's tour and the way it's grown over the last few years because the, the competition at the top is ferocious. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Quality from Egypt is incredible, but plenty of other nations are doing very well. You look at England and the USA, but Malaysia, India, there's some great things happening in different parts of the world. Oh, for and sure, yeah. You want, sport is healthiest when there's healthy competition both yeah. in team sports and individual sports. Yeah, 100%. Now just and nobody is dominating either set of rankings at the moment. No one player, male or female. No, that, that's the beauty of the game today. I think back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was a period there where one player would dominate for a year, if not yes. more. I mean, you yeah, had yeah. Peter, you had Jonathan, you had Shabana, then after that... Uh, uh, a couple about maybe Linku dominated. Obviously, you had the Jansher and uh, Jahangir. Uh, Armour, Gaultier, but well, Jahangir and Jansher was a phenomenal era for Pakistan squash. Yeah. But since then, the game has collapsed. Absolutely. Uh, Jahangir seems to be out there trying to to do his best yeah. to, to bring it back to life. And uh, that's really good to see that, like a guy you know, arguably the greatest of all time. Yeah. Uh, doing Jahangir is a great ambassador. He's always been a great ambassador for this sport. And it's good to see him 
working so hard to keep the game going in Pakistan, I think the mistake the Federation makes is putting a lot of pressure on their top players to repeat the success that Jahangir and Jansher achieved. But actually their priority is the same priority for every single federation on the planet right now. And Mm. that's rebuild from the grassroots up. You can't go in and say, we want to have players dominating the world top 10 like we used to 50 years ago. The starting point is getting thousands of kids playing the game, building those early blocks at grassroots level. It's about numbers. Egypt are winning the numbers game. They have thousands Absolutely. of kids. It's insane. Uh, I think we talked about it the other day. Their their last junior tournament, which ran mm-hmm. through, it was one week, 900. Yes, juniors. phenomenal. Yeah, incredible. absolutely I, phenomenal. I think that's something that we're going, obviously will be, uh, when we have our panel uh, discussion, which mm-hmm. is hopefully going to be happening in the new year early, uh, yes. that'll be something that we bring to the table because they're doing what they're doing there. And we'll, we'll, this is a, a side point, but what they're doing there is they're connecting their their squash to these big clubs, the Wadi Degla Club, the Al uh, Mustafa Sal's Al Ali Club, uh, and they've got their big name player at their club, and that yeah. attracts everybody going to go there and play squash. Uh, but they're joining up all the dots because hmm. it must be so inspiring walking into any one of those clubs and seeing some of the world's top players training, having a hit, a practice game, and then getting on court with some of the kids. And that that is an amazing setup that they have. Yeah. They've got some great coaches doing good things. And at the moment, it's just this non-stop production line. And as more clubs like the Madinati Club come on the scene, staging big tournaments... Hmm. they'll have the big numbers as well they'll have the coaching structure and you you don't see this that process ending any t- anytime soon no no it's just growing and growing it, uh, it just seems like that ten that's the direction they're going in and uh, another thing you you sort of alluded to there is their their coaching um we don't hear we don't hear really anything about there, who the who the coaches are over there? Mm-hmm. So I talked to uh, Mustafa Sal, his coaches, uh, Mohammed uh, Abbas. Well, I didn't know that really. Yeah, yeah. great, great coach. He must be uh, mm-hmm. Haniel Hamami's coach. I forget his name. He used to coach Noran Gohar. You don't really hear their names mentioned when it comes to the the best coaches in the world. They've got to be doing some really good work. Yes, absolutely. I interviewed Mohamed El Shabagi about a year ago at a at a club exhibition night. He was playing Daryl Selby, and I really enjoyed having a chat with Mohamed. And he said he told everybody in the audience that the Egyptians have changed the way we play the game. In previous decades, you'd concentrate on hitting the ball to the back of the court, and only then. When you got your opponent behind you, would you go short? He said, now it's the opposite. You've got to win the battle at the front of the court before you hit the ball to the back. And that kind of shows how this Egyptian era of dominance has absolutely turned the game upside down. Yeah, I'd like to hear more from their coaches. Uh, Yeah. That could be something uh, maybe Squash Mad can do some sort of in-depth Yes. Uh, story on the coaches that are unseen, uh, the the magician, the the magical uh, yes. formula that they have going on over there. Yeah, that's. I'll share that with the guys. Yeah, <laughs> one other one I was going to mention too. That I mean, you see it on the the ESPN or maybe even on um, what is it, uh, Sky Sports, uh, their mm. their sports publications. Sometimes they have these really in depth um, stories that they do, like they they go on. It's it's like a short chapter of like a chapter of a book almost but mm. the, the, the pakistan uh down the downfall of pakistan that's got to be there's got to be some dark story there got to be i mean we know we kind of know a little bit but yeah I, it's not my a- feeling is that they took it for granted that one of a handful of 
families would just carry on producing very successful offspring, then it suddenly stopped. Yeah. And then you look around and there's there's no structure in place for other kids to come through. And so they've got to they've got to start again right from the grassroots and stop talking about the glory days and isn't it a tragedy that we're no longer at the top you could say the same about australia mm, there's not a single australian male in the world top 100 that's a that's atrocious yeah and the same for the women i mean they also had yeah some the, the, some of the greatest women of all time in there for a while just several always in the top 10 yeah. now donna loban maybe uh <laughs> Donna's taking up a coaching position in Edinburgh. Yeah. So you won't be seeing Donna on a PSA no, tournament. We don't. We hadn't seen her for a while, anyways. But uh... yeah, she announced her retirement on Squash Mat. So don't worry. <laughs> we had that one as well, Jerry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, she she was the uh, the only name coming out of Australia for. Yes. Obviously, Rachel Grenham's still playing, and that's an unbelievable story in and of itself. But uh, the last great Australian the, the Commonwealth uh, Games yeah, squad, most of that squad came out of retirement to play. Yeah. You know, so maybe Sarah Fitzgerald was given a consideration as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Squash Mad, uh, really great stuff uh, uh, there. And uh, I, I really hope that. Uh, the team that you've assembled to to take it over, um, uh, obviously they're going to do a great job and keep uh, keep up uh, with the momentum. And is there any chance that you you make a sort of a an appearance every now and then, Alan? I'd, I'd like to put in a few guest appearances. Yeah, with a few contributions now and again. Yes, I certainly would. Already thinking of a, a few subjects that I that need writing about. So yes, in the new year, once I've got my strength back, my energy back, and had a, a nice rest for at least three months, I'll see where my mood takes me. So maybe uh, to uh, to end the season, we might see you uh, you back t- uh, to sort of uh, sign off on the season or, or something along, or maybe to to kickstart the the next uh, the twenty twenty three season. I hope so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk about World Squash Day. Now, we did this uh, the last time you were mm-hmm. on, but uh, definitely that, that was a while ago. And uh, I know a lot of people will want to hear it from you again. Uh, it's been one of your 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 it, it was your your baby and uh, a very important one that means so much uh, to you and a lot of people. Uh, you launched it, I think, in London uh, in 2002 as a memorial to squash players. Um who'd lost their lives in the 9-11 terrorist attack in New York City. I hope, I think I got that right. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. But uh, if you could just sort of, if you don't mind retelling, uh, reliving that story, how it all came about. I know there were some big names, Peter Nickel, uh, John White were involved in it. So uh, take us back to, uh, you know, where where, where World Squash Day got uh, got its start. Well, I've got to thank my friend Laurie McLaughlin, who was great friends with a guy called Derek Sword. They played together in the Scottish Junior International Squad. Mm. Um, Laurie went into banking, uh, as did Derek Sword. Uh, Derek was working in New York in the World Trade Center. He got engaged two weeks before 9-11 to an American girl, Maureen Sullivan, And then as the planes hit the tower, he phoned home, told his mum and dad what was happening. He was on his way out and he didn't make it. Hmm. And so that was just one of 30, 40 squash members from New York Athletic Club alone who lost their lives in those attacks on the World Trade Center. And so we got together and, and discussed how we could do something to honor their lives and at the same time do something tangible for the game of squash. And that's how Laurie and I came up with the idea of World Squash Day. 
And you're right, three months to the day after 9-11, we launched it with a 15-a-side London v. New York match. And at the time of 9-11, John Nimick was in the process of running the US Open in Boston. Players like John White were in midair while the attacks happened. They, like so many other people, were diverted to other airports around North America. And obviously the tournament, like all sports events in America, was cancelled. And a memorial 9-11 tournament, a memorial, sorry, US Open tournament took place in January, the following January, Peter Nickel won that, flew back overnight with John White and Paul Price. They got off the plane at Heathrow, came straight to Lambs Club in the city of London. We had various other pros playing as well. We had an eight-man pro tournament running alongside the 15-a-side London v. New York match. We had representatives from the U.S. Embassy. It was a very emotional day. The players were amazing. And um, I just can't thank them enough for everything they did to to help launch something that I think has become A, rather special, and B, incredibly important for the game itself. Because as years went by, we the World Squash Day program evolved into promoting the Olympic bid. And then obviously as numbers kept falling, we realized we could be the platform that encourages every federation on the planet to do something special, not just for one day a year, but to launch something hmm. on World Squash Day, a, a new program that you could carry forward for weeks and months, all designed to bring new players into the game. And I have to say that so many federations around the world have done a brilliant job. But every year I feel like the closing scenes in Schindler's List, where he said we could have done more, we should have done more. And that's my message every year to all the federations, we should have done more, especially yeah. those salaried officers who did nothing. And that's the bit that disturbs me the most about where squash is heading is that so many salaried officers ignore World Squash Day. They ignore the collapse in playing numbers and they seem totally incapable of coming up with any ideas to halt that decline. And Jerry, that fills me with enormous concern. Mm, yeah, well, it, I think it fills us all with with enormous concern. Um, but uh, just in terms of World Squash Day, Alan, uh, I know the PSA and the WSF. I think they they've always you've always had their endorsement. World Squash yes. Day has. Yeah, uh, and so that I appreciate. Have their endorsements helped in promoting, uh, or how has they how have their endorsements helped in uh, promoting the event? Every bit of publicity helps, especially if some of our leading players get involved in encouraging local clubs and local federations to get involved, what's obvious is there is a, a global um, glitch in the World Squash Federation's communications network because they send out newsletters, bulletins, put stuff out on social media, and it's amazing the number of federations who don't see this stuff or ignore it. The UAE being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, sadly, the World Federation tell me they don't have the staff to chase up all the federations. And that's that's a big part of everything every year is that the federations either don't see it, it always seems to take them by surprise, even though it's an annual event, the date is published a year in advance, and so many of them say, we didn't know it was on. Well, you would think, uh, I mean, you know, now that we're talking about it, I mean, the PSA, the WSF, you would think mm -hmm. that there there could be some, 
something big that they could collaborate on. I mean, you even have a, a huge, like a PSA, a big event in the name of uh, the mm -hmm. world of world squash day. I mean, or, or some kind of huge, like a, a huge, like a competition uh, connected with that to celebrate. Yes. I've been flying these ideas for years mm. and hoping to get some traction with our global leaders and national leaders. But what I, what worries me intensely is seeing a lot of national federations, Squash Canada being the latest, they produce a vision document that talks about elite squash, talent pathways, coaching, refereeing, but does not mention grassroots squash. And to me, that should be the only thing on their mind. That should be the absolute priority is building back those numbers. Because if the numbers continue to decline, more courts will close, more clubs will disappear. And the other thing that worries me about the media and the federations, nobody is keeping any accurate data or sharing it when clubs close. The only guy who appears to be doing anything in North America is our friend Ed Alvarez from Toronto, yeah. club owner who e emails me week after week telling me about the latest closures. Yeah, he's got his teeth in. Yeah, Ed, Ed got fed up with waiting for anybody else to produce that data. He got hold of a US squash handbook from 10 years ago and personally wrote, emailed, phoned every single venue on that list and found that hundreds especially the fitness clubs had just stopped running squash. Just shut the courts, repurpose them for fitness. And Ed is talking all the time about building new clubs. He's working with some very exciting business partners right now in designing rackets, sports clubs for the future. Mm -hmm. There is investment from paddle investment from pickleball. And the saddest thing of all, is that when the name of squash comes up, it's regarded as being somewhat toxic. Right. And that is a, a tragedy of enormous proportions that the federations seem unable or unwilling to even discuss, let alone do anything about. So do you think the federations, I mean, when I know Eduardo's made a made a real effort to try to produce the uh, and get the federations to at least look at these documents and have a discussion about them. Hmm. What? Are, what? Are, I mean, you've talked to Eduardo at length about this stuff. Hmm. Every week, Ed and I talk all the time. What does he? Um, what does he say is their excuse for not taking it seriously, or maybe what is their sort of justification for doing what they're doing? You're asking people to invest money in a failing business. That's as simple as I can make it, Jerry. I guess in turn, you yeah. go to an investor with a business model and you say, please give me some money for paddle or pickleball. They're growing like crazy. They can see the merits. And every time Ed brings up the subject of squash, he gets these sideways looks at best and also some very negative responses because people are not stupid. Mm. They've seen the collapse of the game. They, they understand why. And the national center that was launched in Toronto was an absolute disaster. And the people who invested money in that, they uh, burnt their fingers. So asking those same guys to put more money into squash is, is not a, a pleasant conversation to have. So I guess what you're saying in terms of, you know, you mentioned Squash Canada, and I'm assuming, um, uh, I guess what you're saying is that they're, they're not, uh, they need to do more to try to attract investment in the grassroots level, which the this yes. type of, which these clubs would generate a grassroots uh, level following in the game. Mm. Well, privately, 
I won't re- reveal the name of the brands, but Ed is speaking to all the big fitness chains across North America. We know that Lifetime Fitness mm-hmm. has reduced the number, well, reduced their entire squash operation. Um, they're investing in paddle and pickleball, especially pickleball. Another serious big fitness chain has said, we will never build another squash court ever. Hmm. And they are the conversations that Ed is sharing with me. And we're seeing the same over here in the UK with the David Lloyd fitness chain. You know, they, they call themselves a rackets plural sports club. Um, obviously majoring on tennis, but they dropped more than 200 squash courts and they are now looking at paddle and pickleball here in the UK as well. What have your uh, discussions been like with U.S. squash? Because uh, in terms of World Squash Day, um, because I know, obviously, if you look at things, like look at Philadelphia, maybe Chicago, New York City, places like that, where there there seems to be sort of a, a decent squash following there. But um, and a lot of that is due to may, maybe what U.S. squash has been sort of focusing on. But what has their uh, involvement been like and your your discussions been like with them? I'll tell you, Jerry, they no longer bother answering my emails. Hmm. That's U.S. squash. With the launch of the new Arlen Spectre Center, one of their coaches promised to put on a special day last year. And when I phoned him a couple of days later to ask how it went, he told me he was too busy coaching private customers. That's the surprise. Yeah. What we're seeing in the US is the total erosion of affordable squash. And I mentioned this in my farewell column that the only place where you'll see squash these days is in luxury private clubs or in some brilliant facilities at the colleges, but these are usually private facilities from which the general public is not allowed in. Well, I mean, I did. Uh, you you obviously have, have spoken with and know a bit about uh, what Open Squash has been up to in New York City. Yes. I think yes. that, you know they have a vision that seems to be in. Uh, similar to what you and and Eduardo and, and others who really value the gra- the, the grass grassroots part of the game, which we all should, uh, and I think that's sort of the direction uh, that Open Squash is, is going in. Um, so, is, is that kind of like a, a vision that you uh, uh, an aspect of it that you'd like to see more uh, of? Absolutely. I've spoken to those guys on numerous occasions, written several articles on Squash Mad. Um, I just think it's fantastic what they're doing in and around New York. And I wish them every success because affordable squash is the way you grow numbers. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you, you go to their website. I, I mean, I'm, I'm plugging the sponsor of the podcast here, but Uh, You go to to their website and uh, the first thing you see there is, uh, you know, they're looking for people to donate to junior squash. Yes. They're their junior squash program so that they can get more juniors to join, to be able to afford to play. Yes. I mean, that's perfect. There's a big question also, Jerry, that I've posed to England squash and two years on, I'm waiting for an answer. I've asked them to provide some data on why so many juniors stop playing when they reach 18. Hmm. So if we're putting all of our eggs into one basket, the junior basket, I'm also seriously concerned that that is kind of looking in the wrong place because if most of our kids stop playing when they're 18 when they go to university they leave home they have their own choices about determining how their lifestyle pans out and most of them give up squash that's a fact and nobody will give me an answer Hmm. because 
they're all they're all driving this junior narrative. And obviously in America, it helps to get the college place. And I understand all that. But here in the UK, we have a slightly different system. Yes, we have some very good universities with great facilities offering squash scholarships. But the wider game, the priority should be in, in attracting players of all ages and abilities to take up our game. Because if there's anything we can learn from pickleball, that's where they are smashing the ball out of the park on a massive scale. Mm. And I'll tell you, I'll sh share with you one of my biggest disappointments with World Squash Day. Please do. Three years ago, I seem to be the only person on the planet to work out that squash is 200 years old in the year 2030. And I put a proposal to the World Squash Federation three years ago that we launch Squash 200 in conjunction with World Squash Day. So we have a target date to revive this sport by 2030. And this whole thing about the number 200, the bigger nations, the plan was that we'd get the major nations to commit to building 200 new courts. The smaller nations that don't have those resources could commit to maybe getting 200 new players and then everything else in between. Mm -hmm. World Federation liked the idea. Andrew Shelley put it to the board. It was carried immediately. And so Squash 200 became a thing. Then Andrew lost his job after the latest Olympic bid failed and the new management of the World Squash Federation have not looked at it, touched it, or got back to me about this project. Mm. And the reason why this is so tragic, my target was that we should look globally at attracting 1 million new players back to squash. And I think, I still think that is an achievable target in the next seven, eight years. Pickleball has just announced that their target in the US alone where they have 5 million players, by 2030, they want to have 40 million players across the USA. Hmm. They are going about it the right way. In squash, none of the federations wants to talk about grassroots growth. And why, why do you think that is? Uh, do you have any idea? I have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of experience from numerous conversations with these people. Some of the federations, sadly, are staffed by people in salaried positions who've never played the game, have no passion for the game, have no idea how to revive the sport. And all they talk about is high performance because that makes them sound like they know what they're talking about. Mm. I talk to them about world squash day putting in some effective grassroots programs really simple stuff to just get all your existing players to bring a friend it doesn't have to be rocket science they refuse to engage and this is where ed and i have had this pushback from federation people at local and national level saying uh it's okay thanks guys we've got it all under control and they they come out with this smug delusion this mantra that they all churn out while the game is collapsing around them. And they clearly are not qualified to do anything. And the people who offer to help them get pushed away. And I can only feel that at some level, they feel a little bit out of their depth. They don't like talking to people who are better qualified than them, even when we're offering to help. Because I've, during lockdown, I spoke to a lot of friends all around the world, guys like me who've invested their own money in this sport, either in tournaments, building up their own brands, building their own clubs. All these people reported the same response from their local federations. They got zero support Jeez. when they tried to help them. So the guys who got the ideas are being turned away. 
and they get fed up with all the disappointments. And that's where I am right now, Jerry. Well, uh, Alan, that's uh, that's a shame. That's unfortunate. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be having uh, our panel discussion with any luck in the not too distant future. And that's obviously going to be one of the hot topics there with Eduardo. Uh, Cleve's going to join us. Uh, Peter Marshall from uh, from Rob Owens uh, Growing the Game Initiative. Not exactly sure what that all entails, but Peter's going to bring something to the table. And I think um, hopefully uh, we'll have someone from one of the the national federations, either Squash Canada or Squash USA, uh, to speak uh, to what they're doing and maybe have a fruitful, uh, constructive uh, discussion about all this. Because it would be, I think it's, you know, we should be talking. Uh, not not that I'm part of this, but like uh, uh, this group of people that that we would collect uh, yes. uh, should be talking and try to find some common. You know, there's a lot of common ground. Uh, it's just I think you need maybe need to acknowledge it or recognize it or, or something. Well, you'd think we all want the same thing, mm. and that's all I'm trying to do is help this sport recover because. I want to give something back. This sport has given me so much enjoyment in 50 years. And I'm more, I've been more than happy to give hundreds of hours back to this sport free of charge. Mm. And it, it just kills me seeing so many federations doing absolutely nothing. Well, we keep up the good fight, right, Alan? Yeah, Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, you've got Squash Mad, which is done extremely well, and it's going to continue to do so with the team you have together. Uh, World Squash Day, with any luck, uh, it's just going to hopefully grow and we get you get more people on board. Um, And, you know, uh, we just keep it keep up the good fight. And who knows uh, with maybe uh, one of these rackets facilities does include squash maybe squash takes off again mm. uh, it just it takes a what what's really interesting to me uh, there's a kind of south korea mm-hmm. no one knows what's going on there they're one of these federations that doesn't probably uh, participate very much in the wsf uh, mm. media. but i know for a fact they they're building courts all the time these big they're courts everywhere Good. Well, I, have that's, no, I have no idea what they're doing, but there there are courts <laughs> everywhere. Well, we need we need examples of success to share, mm-hmm. and that's for me. That's one of the things I'm proudest of with Squash Mad is providing a platform where people can share their ideas, and and people like Ed have written some brilliant articles about managing clubs. Ed wrote a great piece saying we have a fantastic sport, but who is doing the advertising? Mm-hmm. Nobody in squash is advertising. Ed runs what is ostensibly a fitness club with four squash courts. And he knows he he is happy to advise any federation in the world who will listen that selling memberships, building memberships, building revenues is a seven day sales advertising slog mm. yeah i can remember back in the day uh back in the when i started squash in the mid 80s uh there was all there were always advertisements for yes. you know court the, the membership the court fees uh on the radio and the newspaper uh but you you know you never see may, maybe a little bit on instagram if you're if you're in the squash community but uh outside of that no well, the big thing here in the UK, Jerry, is 30 years ago, all those commercial brains left the game. Mm. And clubs that are run by volunteer committees, what is obvious is they do not have any idea about the marketing, advertising or media skills needed to promote the sport effectively. Well, uh, and if, if hope- you look at the social media, Jerry, I'd just like to make this final point. If you yeah, look sure. at social media, 99% of all the posts by every single national federation is either a repost of a PSA post 
or a post about their own national squads. That's right. Uh, Why I, are they not I, I, I agree. about grassroots development? Why are they? Why are they not trying to sell this game to people who are currently not playing it? That's the I mean, hard sell. I mean, you you can still uh, include your your top players in the in the marketing of yeah, that. Yeah. You you include Absolutely. them in yeah. Uh, so that's something that we're going to definitely touch on in, in the panel mm -hmm. if if uh, you know when yeah. it, when it happens. But uh, Alan, you've been generous uh, as always with your time. And I just want to congratulate you on, uh, and thank you for all that you've done with Squash Mad World Squash Day, everything that you've done prior to that. Just get healthy. And you look, I mean, you're looking good today. Uh, thank you, Jerry. Good fight. And thank you so much. I will speak to you soon. And best wishes for Christmas and the new year to you and yours. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, happy New Year. Merry Christmas, uh, Alan. Take care. Thanks, Jerry. All the best. Well, many thanks to Alan Thatcher uh, for that. That was fantastic. I just want to wish him all the best going forward in terms of his health uh, so that we'll get to see more of him and more of his writing on Squash Mad and so that the, that he can pay, uh, he, he can get out there and help to grow the game again, which is uh, his mission, and it always has been over uh, the span of his uh, squash career. Um, now, if you haven't checked out Squash Mad already, please do. Uh, there are some great stories up there, including... Uh, just within the last couple of months, uh, follow-up pieces to episodes that I've done here on the podcast, uh, Rob Owen and Rodney Martin in particular. I really recommend those if you haven't um, uh, read those already. And um, just want to say before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners for every one of you. It's been uh, one of the best years yet. Uh, perhaps the best uh, just in terms of uh, you know the content that I've been able to provide I think it's been uh, across the board coaching uh, players um, growing the game uh, history we've got we've had so many uh, different interesting episodes uh, in the catalog so definitely go back and take a look maybe you missed a couple uh, that are in there but uh, that's the plan is to keep on evolving um, uh, on the podcast here one area though that I feel I could have addressed a little bit more was with my Canadian content. I did t uh, tend to focus quite a bit on that in previous years, but this year may have dropped the ball. Although I did have, um, I've had Graham Riding on this year, Dean Brown, Victor Berg, uh, talking about uh, initiatives that are going on across Canada, the Bow Valley uh, Athletic Club, the opening of that. Uh, the Canadian Open actually is coming up there. So uh, we're hopefully going to have Dean Brown coming back on to talk about the Canadian Open. We had Victor Berg on to talk about the event in Vancouver uh, earlier in the year, which really went well. and was fantastic to catch up with Victor, one of the great talents that's come out of Canadian squash over the, the last uh, 20 years or so. Uh, so I'd like to get uh, maybe a little bit deeper on Canadian content next year. But, um, yeah, I guess maybe yeah, what I was going to say was just in terms of you look at a guy like uh, the great James Zug and his podcast. He does a lot of sort of anecdotal stuff uh, that's kind of deep uh, American squash history and squash stories, uh, which are quite interesting. Maybe uh, many of us might not uh, be familiar with uh, with. The people involved but when you listen uh, it's all about squash and uh, we can all sort of relate to the stories that come from from those uh, from those people and from those uh, events and uh, I'm really uh, kind of excited to try to uh, to go in and do uh, a bit more of that I've done that in the past I think I've had uh, a few people uh, some great characters on telling some some interesting Canadian content type stories a few episodes a few years ago I had the uh, I think Steve Gardner and Dave uh, Feeder from Squash Newfoundland, uh, great squash traditions up there. And I'd like to have those guys back on to tell a few more uh, classic anecdotes amongst uh, others from across the country. So I'm uh, going to uh, give that some thought and look into uh, how we can uh, provide more sort of anecdotal squash story type stuff, the, akin to what uh, the great uh, James Zug does on his podcast. I'd love to have James on. We've, I've talked to James uh, a little bit recently, so hopefully uh, that can come to fruition uh, this year as well. Obviously, though, I'm a huge fan of the program, and I'll keep uh, that part 
uh, front and center here on the podcast, if at all possible. And I just want to say thanks to all the players out there who've been on and to the PSA who've been really uh, helpful in uh, in helping me set a few, a few of those uh, podcasts up. Also want to uh, continue having the great squash minds of, uh, of squash on talking instruction, training, nutrition. Uh, you know, we've had Rob Owen, um, Rodney Martin, Nicole Bunyan. Uh, we've had Peter Jennifer. We've had so many uh, uh, great coaches, David Campion. Uh, so we're going to continue to try to uh, have those guys uh, and gals coming on uh, the pod to, to provide us with as much intel as we can in terms of helping us with our own games. And uh, that should be fun. Gary Nesbitt, Jethro Bins, uh, shouldn't forget about those guys. They've been regulars uh, on the podcast, so hopefully they'll make a few more appearances in 2023. So the plan is to provide uh, as much uh, content. It's all about content, uh, as I've discovered, as much of that as possible. And with any luck, we'll be able to keep going uh, on a regular basis. We're fast approaching, by the way, episode uh, 300, so I've got to put some thought to that and hopefully lay the groundwork for something uh, very special. We'll see uh, how that plays out. Now, if you're interested in supporting the pod, I don't do this very often, but uh, if you would like, uh, please drop us some donations in the PayPal link on the SoundCloud page for In Squash Podcast. There's a PayPal link there. And if you uh, want to donate uh, to the pod, uh, please do so via the PayPal link. Uh, just finally, again, many, many thanks for listening. Happy New Year to all of you. All the best with your squash in 2023. Get some uh, New Year's resolutions related to your squash as well. I think I'm planning to do that. Um, uh, have to put my mind to it over the next few days, but definitely uh, hoping to see my game rise in another uh, to another level. Um, maybe add some newfound agility, some newfound speed. Um, take it to another level despite uh, advancing uh, in age let's see if we can do that but uh, hopefully you guys can uh, do the same regardless of your age uh, all the best with everything uh, with your families and with your squash and again uh, thanks so much for listening we'll be talking to you in 2023 goodbye now